Hi, this is Caitlin McFarland. And this is Emily Gibson. And we're the co-executive directors of ATX Television Festival. And you're listening to the TV Campfire. This season, we'll be bringing you some of our favorite panels from past festivals, along with behind-the-scenes commentary and some of our fondest memories about putting it all together, while also giving you an inside look to what's happening with this year's virtual festival, which we're calling ATX TV From the Couch. It's like a flashback episode and a spoiler alert all rolled into one. So get back on the couch, pour yourself a drink, and enjoy talking TV together. Emily. (laughs) Yes, I'm here. How's it going? I don't know. I don't know where I am. Today is Monday, June 1st. It's a new month. Well, is in four or five days, depending on if you count today or Friday. I don't really want to get into how we... (laughs) It doesn't matter. We're at hours now. It doesn't matter. Days doesn't matter. And this podcast is launching on Thursday. New, new time ahead of of the launch. So just so everybody knows where in the timeline we're at. Um, It was kind of a rough weekend. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that is an understatement for the world. I feel like there's, obviously we are very much watching and keeping up to date with everything that's happening. I don't even know where you start to talk about it and how you even start to process what's all happening in the world. Yeah. I mean, it's funny how in some ways I feel like, I mean, not going like super deep with this necessarily, because I don't think I have really thoughtful ways to express even understanding or feelings, but you know, we're at about three months of quarantine with COVID. And similarly to the way that that changed our world very quickly, like every, it felt like every hour or day we were adjusting to something new um, and a new way of life and how we were supposed to be acting. It feels like from Friday to today and talking about Black Lives Matter protests and looting and response in that space, it also feels like I'm playing catch up to like, because we're planning the festival, we're not sitting in front of the news or living on Twitter and are getting pieces of it and are trying to stay as educated about all of the things as possible because it's too important not to. And yet somehow every morning I wake up and turn on the 20 minutes of CBS this morning and (laughs) I'm complete. I feel like I'm three weeks behind when I turn on the TV. Yep. It is crazy. The things that happen overnight. And I feel like this weekend, how much happened this weekend. And, you know, we're recording this on Monday and there's, we have no idea what's going to happen in the next however many days until we launch on Friday. And I feel like that's something we are extremely sensitive to and wanting to do. I mean, right by our attendees, right by the festival, right by these stories that we're trying to highlight and showcase that we are very much trying to figure out how do we, how do we still talk about all these things that are so hard to talk about in a way that's also a celebration of all of these things as well at a time where a lot of people don't really feel like celebrating. Right. I mean, it is interesting, like, we had a script reading planned for Sunday, and we didn't feel like it was the right time. So we didn't cancel, we postponed. It will be happening. It's to raise money. It's a script reading of Life Unexpected, which we love, but it just didn't feel like anybody was really in the mood to particularly have 
that reunion plus safety, some of those people were in cities that they weren't quite sure what was happening. And it just felt like the right decision there. But it did lead to at least a question of would we consider canceling the festival, which felt very familiar to the (laughs) (laughs) questions around coronavirus a couple of months ago. But it was interesting because that question came after two things in my mind that made it not something I was considering and, and not something we're planning, which was Friday as this was really starting to gain momentum and speed. We had a moderator who we are doing a, a select number of panels as pre-records and that moderator in a dark emotional place and, and didn't know if she could host that conversation. And it made us, you, me, and, and Jen, our director of programming, kind of ask what we felt was the right move, whether that was to record later or live. And it reminded me of why we are doing the festival and what we really believe when we talk about the power of story and the idea that we don't want to shy away from tough conversations and that the panels that we're having, some of them are very important around, you know, some of them are fun and celebratory reunions, but some of them are around mental health and some of them are around voter suppression and election year, the census, which is very important right now. And that what I really want to have happen on these conversations is to lean into the raw feelings, not do anything inappropriate, but share that it's tough, share that there aren't answers. You know, if we don't have answers to go straight into what can we do to make it better, because I don't think these conversations necessarily will right now, but it will be outlets for both people on on all sides to be able to, similar to the reasons why we said we were doing it virtually to begin with, is for this community to have a place to talk. and separate from that moderator and and that answer that we gave her and we ended up recording it and it was a great panel was coming out with our statement yesterday that you know we know that those in our community are hurting and that we see them and that we are vowing to do better to use our platform to amplify their stories and voices and what i really hope is that and i th- i think We've done well, we can always do better and we'll continue to strive to do better, but that this festival has a number of shows and conversations that hopefully will amplify those conversations is my hope. Not to be hoity-toity louding of how important it is. At the end of the day, it is entertainment and I don't want to talk about it like it's not, but. It is it is interesting that I hadn't really thought about until just this moment that as we were starting to program ATX TV from the couch and asking people to zoom in virtually and talk about, you know, TV, but also we didn't want, we kept saying to people, this is, you don't have to talk about the pandemic. You don't have to talk about COVID-19. Obviously that's going to come up, but it's not all centered around that. And uh, we are very clear to tell people that of like, absolutely address it where everyone's from their homes. Like, this is where we are. You should, you know, acknowledge that and talk about what that's like for you right now. And that I don't really know how many people are going to be talking about it this weekend. I feel like there is (laughs) a different thing that is at the top of everyone's heads and that the conversations are going to take a really different turn than they would. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, obviously. And that, just like we told people, I mean, actually, it's not just like we told people, because I feel like for when talking about the pandemic and COVID-19 and how everyone was doing, that's a different, 
it's such a, like a personal state. I mean, it's very, obviously everyone is going through it, but everyone is handling it very differently where I feel like what's happening right now is much more people are, people are experiencing this together. I mean, it's interesting to even see people on the streets together in the middle of all of this. And I feel like there's, there's such a sense of when we're in quarantine, it was a, you're by yourself and you're still trying to figure out how to reach out and be with people, even though apart and people kind of like got into that mode and figured it out where this is people really need, need to be together and see each other and lean on each other. And the emotions behind this are so different because it's not just, Hey, we need to keep ourselves safe from this crazy illness for the next however many months until it goes away or we find a vaccine. This is something that has been happening for, I mean, I mean, yeah, don't even put a number on it. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is systemic. And there is obviously this like the stupidest statement, but there's no, there's no vaccine. Like there's no, this has to be, everyone actually has to change their mindsets and their lives to make a difference. And I do believe how we are trying to be so vocal about everyone stay home and protect yourselves during the pandemic now is a, everyone raise your voices and be loud. And I do think that stories and television do that. And that's where you have these conversations. I think the difference is there are similarities, and that's what I was alluding to, too, to go from this great shift with COVID to now what we feel is on the precipice and I don't think is going away anytime soon, and nor should it. And uh, I heard somebody say it really is the straw that broke America's back this weekend, but that it is currently, you know, very obviously, maybe not, but you and I are two white women. And so we're having a different experience to try to educate and open and help and do what we should do to ask ourselves questions and challenge ourselves and challenge others around us is very different than the black community right now and what they've been going through for a very long time and continue to go through. And they're having a different experience. Whereas like, I'm sure everybody's COVID experiences were different too, but at the end of the day, you are dealing with a virus and how you approach that. This is also probably a virus in, in other ways, but it is targeting a very specific group. At least that's what we're talking about right now. And I know there's a lot of people that are like, well, there's a lot of problems with racism, not just with black communities, but this is a very specific situation that I'm not educated enough to make statements about, but it is it is interesting to, you know, whether it's through social media or the news or conversations with friends, what we're supposed to do next. And I think we are all searching for how to make things better. And, or at least we are on our side. And I think at the end of the day, having the festival isn't going to solve any of those problems either, but is something that I can stand behind and that there are parts of that festival that will address it in bigger ways and parts of those that will address it just through representation and conversations. And so not having it next weekend is not really an option for me. We're hoping that it's a place that people can come together, a safe, inclusive place where people can come together, talk and see each other. And it's conversation starters. We always want the festival to be conversation starters. And so now I feel like we do have some really great panels that I'm really proud of that will be those conversation starters. 100%. And we can find the ways to acknowledge it during the weekend, similar to what you were saying before when it was about something else, but like ways that it won't be all about that that weekend. And there will be times where it's light and celebratory and about other things. And there will be other times where it is is acknowledged directly and 
we will make sure that we know when, when and where we are and not be hopefully uh, tone deaf to what is going on in the world around us as we live stream from your home <laughs> in Austin <laughs> in the middle of like out by the airport. Like <laughs> it's just like, it's a very hard, interesting place, but talking about other things, it is, it is the Monday before the festival and we did announce some things today. We love our partnership with Showtime over the last couple of years. They were closing night last year with City on a Hill with Kevin Bacon and Tom Fontana, and we launched that show. And this year on Saturday night, we're doing a marquee presentation of their new show, The Good Lord Bird, which stars and is written by an, a number of multi-hyphenates, but with Ethan Hawke and is based on the Pulitzer Prize winning book by James McBride. And I'm really excited about this one. It's also produced by Blumhouse and we've known about it for a long time. I believe this is Ethan's first TV project and he is very involved. <laughs> we've been asking about it since like the fall. <laughs> like, When is this airing? Like both Blumhouse and Showtime. When is this going to South by? Uh, no, it's not going to South by. Mm, could it come to ATX? <laughs> it is premiering in August on Showtime and they wanted to support the festival and they wanted to be a part of it and they knew how much we'd been asking about it. And so they're giving us this first look and conversation a solid two months early, which I'm very excited about. Can I talk about, I don't know if you're going to, I don't know if you're going to want me to say this or not, but when we, uh, had a meeting with Jeremy Gold from Blumhouse, and he was telling us about the Good Lord Bird many, many months ago. Um, we had heard about it, we knew about it, and he had just received the trailer to watch. And I so he played us the trailer and then told us, You're not allowed to tell anyone. And then you told Showtime that we had seen the trailer. And they're like, But we haven't even seen the trailer yet. I mean, I don't mind that you told this. But I don't know that Jeremy or Showtime is excited. That you're it was just so funny. And I, I mean, we saw it and we're like, wow, this show is going to be a crazy ride. And it looks so good. The production value is amazing. Um, all of the things about it. Ethan looks phenomenal in it. But it was, I think we were so excited that we had just seen it. And then we really wanted it at the festival. Even, I mean, honestly, even at that point, because this was way before South By, uh, that we were like, even if South By premieres it, we still want to showcase it. Like that's that's the good thing about our timing is that it may not be opening or closing night, but we can definitely still talk about it. And we knew at that moment, just seeing the trailer that we wanted to do that. But yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it that moment. You more than others. Uh, but we were very excited and it was very cool to see. And I'm just really blown away by Showtime in the, like really in the final two weeks, like they were just very committed to making it happen to participate this weekend. They're coming on as a supporting sponsor and they're doing this along with um, the first look at their doc sports docu-series, five-part series called Outcry, which is set um, just outside of Austin, actually. And you and I were very unfamiliar with it, but it, it's a case about a young man named Greg Kelly and... I won't do well uh, talking about exactly what it is, 
but it is riveting and Jen watched it all in one sitting and stayed up until two o'clock in the morning watching all five parts that they gave us as screeners. <laughs> and so we're going to have a conversation with Pat Candelis, uh, Austinite, who is the filmmaker director who had the most amazing access on this series that went over multiple years um, and gets very detailed and there's lots of twists and turns. Um, so we're going to have a conversation with him in the first look and it premieres in July but they've just been so amazing to us. We're also going to have their president of entertainment, Jana, I want to say Winograd, but I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, who's going to be on our Channel Changers panel, which is all women presidents from streamers, studios, networks, cable providers, which is pretty much launching the festival on Friday. And so I'm just, I continually become more and more fascinated with what that panel may be in terms of yeah. talking about leadership and the current state of the world, both social justice, civil rights, and the pandemic and what how that's affecting entertainment and their jobs leading companies as well as content creators. I hope it is as fascinating as I'm building it up to be in my mind. But yes, we announced Showtime today, which I think is really amazing. And I'm just honestly kind of emotional by how great they've been to us. Yeah. We also announced in the last few weeks, in case anybody missed it, the Mandalorian filmmakers panel, which is John Favreau and Dave Filoni and all of the directors of season one of The Mandalorian, which includes Taika Waititi, in case anybody was wondering. So excited about it. Uh, same, same. It's so, it's going to be so good. And I'm thrilled that Lucasfilms and Disney Plus let us do it. And uh, it's on Friday as well. Friday is a big day. I know. It's funny with The Mandalorian because we started talking to Disney Plus about doing something with it very early on. And it went through a lot of different iterations of what it could be. And there were some, I mean, some iterations that we were really excited about, some that we were not excited about, but you know, just different ways. And this, I believe is the best iteration that they ever threw at us in a way that honestly didn't think it was going to happen. No, I mean, well, because originally we were going to do John doing a deep dive with one of the department heads, maybe even like the head of the costume department and music and makeup and all of those things and how he, as he show ran it, worked with those departments and we were told he wasn't available. And then, so that went away. It became something else and something else and then something else. And then they came back with, John can do this. It was like one hour that he can do this. Let's see if the others can do that same exact hour. And they all did, which was, I mean, they're all at home. I don't know what else they're doing. <laughs> it's amazing how busy people are right now. I mean, the amount of requests that we've put out there that we have been told the person is unavailable. I'm like, hmm. I mean, I get it. We're making requests for them. So other people are making requests for them. There's a lot going on. I understand completely. But still, it is funny. When we first started this, we're like, everyone will be home. No one will have conflicts. And it is amazing how busy people have made themselves during this time. It's very true. Um, we also launched in the last week something that I'm, for those that know or don't, during the festival, I become like weirdly obsessed with the green room and it's set up. It's like my tiny task that I can control within a bubble and like it's mine. Nobody can really touch it and everybody has allowed me this. That has become expanded to the community this year to become the food and, and drink pairings for the weekend. And we have like a series of things that'll happen during the weekend called snack and sips where people make different cocktails and snacks for you. But I wanted to pair a grocery list for anybody coming to the festival next weekend, uh, joining us and 
different programming that has different things attached to it. And then you pitched, which I loved, a family meal every day that you and I are going to order and or make and hope and encourage other people around us to do the same so that on Friday, we can all have pizza together. And on Saturday, we can all have a fried chicken sandwich together. And that kind of thing, which I'm very much looking forward to. So we launched that. You can see it on our Instagram and on the website that in conjunction with the schedule is a a food, not a food and wine pairing, but a food and (laughs) drink pairing Yes, that, you know, has some of our favorite brands attached to it. Obviously there's going to be Topo Chico and Tito's and Tequila 512 and like all of those good things. But there's also things like larceny bourbon this is all booze (laughs) i was about to say i appreciate you've now mentioned all the booze and fried chicken sandwiches so like we're good to go yeah there will be some some bluebell ice cream and some oreos i'm gonna make some guacamole you guys bobby flay told me how to make it one time in a whole foods in chelsea new york and maybe i'll tell that story on the stream about how i berated him and i have now eaten guacamole you've made too many times to count and it never disappoints you know I feel like you get better with it every time thank you so I feel like that's the last bit now we're just hunkering down in these last four days to you know finish out the schedule all the bonus content I want people to remember that the schedule has all the feature length content in between all of that is a bunch of stuff from one-on-one interviews and these snack and drink breaks with some of your favorite people we have a very cool person launching the festival so i want to make sure everybody is tuned in at 11 a.m central time to see that and i know you've wanted everybody really to know also that while we will release a lot of this stuff over the next couple of weeks to couple of months period i'd say probably by the end of august we will have gotten the feature length out but not all of them and not all the interstitials so this is whether it's pre-recorded or live there are there is content in this weekend that is a one-time only viewing and we want you to we don't say that to to threaten you <laughs> we say that to make sure you know that we're in this together this is a community viewing and there's a real sort of excitement to do it together and that it's not just, oh, I'll catch that later because the feed won't be available directly after and or ever as a feed and that the the one-off panels will be released over the next few months. For example, the Mandalorian panel, it's in between seasons. We may hold that panel until closer to the season two launch. We don't know. Like you may have to wait a while. (laughs) I think the big thing too is, and I've had people tell me like, well, you know, since people can't be at the festival, that means they didn't necessarily set aside the full three days and I get children and families and work and whatnot. And we completely understand and respect that and want to figure out ways to make sure that they still get to see some of the content and feel included and not everyone can just sit in front of their TV all day, every day for three days. But we really want to encourage that live participation and live community because that's how we that's how we come together. And that's what makes it a festival are the people watching it and being part of it together. And so that's why we're not saying what we're going to release afterwards. Um, And there are definitely some special moments that are planned that may just be for the people that can be there. And it's kind of like the festival in that way, even though we keep saying how it's linear. So you can see everything. The thing that it is like the festival is because since you can't see everything at the physical festival because multiple things are happening at once, you may experience something really great at this panel, but miss something really great at another panel. Um, It's kind of the same way if you have to miss some of this, like 
you just have to be there to be a part of it and experience it all. And that's what we're really trying to communicate and encourage. And uh, yeah, just have people be together. TV together. Hashtag TV TV together. together. I'm also adding in snack together, which I'm sure our social media gurus are saying you can't have two hashtags, but like whatever. I want to snack (laughs) together. I want to snack together too. Speaking of snacks, and obviously we're talking a lot about foods. um, I don't have a lot of quarantine local food check-ins over the weekend because I feel like I've one reached the point where I'm nauseous a lot of the time. It's very old school, early festival feelings. So there's a lot of bourbon being (laughs) ingested, but there's not a lot of food. But you and I did order from Favor our first sushi in like three months last night. I want to say it was from a place called Umi Sushi, but I really don't remember. It was free delivery. I don't remember either. It was very good. I was, you know, I get nervous about sushi delivery as I feel like people should. I mean, that's a, that is a risk and we can't really take those sort of risks right now, but it definitely, I was like, I'm not hungry. I don't know what I want. And then when you're looking at favor and you suggested sushi immediately, the craving hit and it was, that's what I want. That is absolutely what I want. Let's order that. And I was so full afterwards, which I'm not always that full after sushi, but we, well, I think that we that really tells you that we ordered a lot. We did. We ordered way too much. And then on the watch list too, I guess I'm having, you know, I'm watching less, but I did finish a rewatch of togetherness last weekend you guys it's two seasons eight episodes each episode's like 26 minutes it's so good and kind of just what i needed last week also love the duplasses i mean i'm just i'm in it emily i'm i get it i get it i'm there too every interview i hear every show that i watch i'm like i just like you guys more and more and more more and more each time and i will say what's very cool and i don't even know if the other one knows it but they're both involved in the virtual festival Mark is doing a Room 104 panel with his directors from this final season. We premiered 104 a few years ago at the in real life version of the festival. And now for the first virtual festival, he is finishing out Room 104. And then Jay is in our script reading of Search Party, which is airing on Sunday of the festival. And I don't know that the other one knows or cares that the other (laughs) one is involved, but they're not doing anything together, but they are both in the virtual festival. And I find great joy in that. I agree. I agree. Also don't think that they care, but I do think that we appreciate it. And that's what matters. The only other thing I will put into quotations that I watched because I was definitely on my computer for like the entire time. But with Evan, the last week we watched The Great on Hulu Mm-hmm. with Nicholas Holt and Elle Fanning. It is delightful. And I will probably watch it again because I miss so much. It is so well done. It's by the guy who wrote The Favorite. Oh, yes, yes. I've been hearing about this. It's Catherine the Great. So it's Russia in, I'm going to say the 1700s. But it's got the favorite vibe where it's a little nod to modernity and it's funny and inappropriate and all of these other things. Elle Fanning is a freaking delight. So she's just so good. It is a very, very good show. And I'm, I'm going to need to rewatch it. But just shout out to Hulu's The Great for anybody that's just needing to watch I'm going to say 10 episodes, but I don't exactly know. They're an hour. That's okay. I'm going to put it on my post-festival, which is only a week from today, (laughs) a post-festival watching list. There you go. 
which are there are many things on so it'll probably still be 2022 by the time i get to it but that's yep. okay uh i mean i've just still been watching queer as folk that's it yep slowly that's the only thing that i want to watch and so there you go just one episode at a time slowly making a way through it but then next week it's on for everything the whole list <laughs> yep i agree well, before we talk about this panel today, which is our first non-festival panel to release, I believe, or at least not in a long time, we just wanted to say, like, I mean, as we've been talking about, the festival launches on Friday. This podcast is being released on Thursday. Anybody who has been to the festival before, we're so excited for you to see this, and we hope that there are tinges. We know it'll be very different, but we hope there's little memories of TV camp for grownups that hold you over until next year. And for those that are attending for the first time, we hope that you, like we tell people at the Real Festival, come for one thing or two things that have caught your eye on the schedule, but stay for the rest of it. And, you know, talk to people on Twitter. Like we have a very strong community of people who come alone to the festival for the first time and have made friends online and make friends in line at the festival. Since that doesn't exist, it will be online. But we, we just hope that you try some things out and give it a chance and hang out with us all weekend while drinking and eating, obviously. Uh, duh. Yes. Thumbs up. So this panel that we're releasing today is the female gaze. It was launched. We've now taken the female gaze in a few iterations, I think. We we had our first panel at the festival, mixture of actors, writers, and directors, all women talking about in front of the camera, behind the camera, uh, perspective of women. Um, wait, did we, am I talking about complex, not complicated? I am. Did well, we do a female I mean, we gaze did, panel at the festival? We yes, we did. Yes, we did. We did one last year. <laughs> Great. Thank you. Yeah, we did. It's okay. I'm here for you. Real time. So we did do that. It had very similar things. This is the second one. We haven't done a podcast with this theme before, right? This is only its second iteration, female gaze. No, but I'm pretty sure we released it as a podcast. Well, we released the well, panel right. as a podcast. The panel. Okay. There we go. Yes. Same yes. place. Yes. Complex Not Complicated had a panel and then a separate podcast and then whatever. You guys were all fine. My brain's working. <laughs> You're here. You got this. This second iteration of female gaze in say January, but what is time? January <laughs> in Los Angeles at the YouTube spaces, which was amazing. Uh, we've been filming our bumper there. They're just a really cool place for content creators. If you're a YouTube content creator and you have 10,000 or more subscribers, you have access to the space and it's just amazing, but they also do events there. And so we booked this panel with them and had Filiana Ning I always am worried I'm going to say her name wrong from ET moderate it. And the panelists were Abigail Spencer, who's an ambassador, Gloria Calderon Kellett, who's an advisory board member, Christopher Vernoff, who we just love. And then met for the first time director, Tina Mabry. And it was, it was for about four, I think about 40 people in their theater. And it just did everything that we wanted it to do. We wanted to have, you know, producers and writers and directors and actors represented. We wanted to have a lot of different women of color and age and perspective represented. And I just feel like it was, 
everything we wanted from a year-round event, especially in LA. We were just starting in January and February to really ramp up our year-round non-Austin events with this and our Alamo Drafthouse screenings. That's obviously been put on hold, but we thought that this would be a good time to be able to share it with more than those 40 people. And I'm excited for that. So without further ado, here is The Female Gaze. Thanks everybody for coming out tonight and being here. Um, Thank you. Yeah, uh, I feel like you've each kind of been vital in bringing kind of women's voices to the forefront in Hollywood and in television, um, whether it kind of be in front of the camera, behind it, in the writer's room, uh, what have you. Can you talk to me about like what you were seeing kind of in Hollywood or experiencing yourselves um, that made you say, you know, this is, it's time for something different. It's time for- How long do you have? <laughs> we could be here all night. <laughs> what were we seeing that made us yeah. do something different? Yeah. I'll jump in. Yeah. Do it. I uh, see a lot of female corpses Oh. and on television shows where no living women have lines. <laughs> that was enough to make me, that continues to inspire me. I, I'm really, really tired of seeing uh, rape and murder and dismembered corpses as the female character in popular movies and television programs. Sick of it. it and I think it's, I think it's not just lazy, I think it's aggressively damaging to our society and we just co-sign it and we reward it and we nominate it and I'm deeply sick of it. Yeah, because you're perpetuating these stereotypes that may not be healthy. That's good, yeah. That's yeah, good. if anyone else wants to kind of chime in and weigh in. I think, uh, first of all, it was realizing that it was mostly men telling stories. Yes. Uh, and being in a room where I was the one and only female Latina, Per, per, I suddenly spoke for all people of color. They'd be like, <laughs> <laughs> <"Thank> you, Gloria? <laughs> okay. Uh, so it was, it, it's, and the same thing, when I would see people of color represented on television, especially Latinas, they, were, they did not represent me in any capacity. And my parents like are off, like didn't speak a word of English. I'm like pure immigrant daughter. And still it was like, oh, we're all, okay, that's, Another gangbanger or drug dealer, delightful. Uh, and for five minutes I was an actor, and for that time, every audition I had was, I'm not kidding, this was 15 years, it's not that long ago, no. gangbanger's girlfriend, gangbanger's sister, that's it. I was watching actors reels for uh, Latino men over the age of 55 in the car on the way here, Salsa and dancer, every sexy fireman, all drug dealers, <laughs> all drug dealers, all and drug you went dealers. Positive. Every yeah, single I was one trying. of them. <laughs> all that was on the reel was drug dealers. At least we're sexy. That's not a stereotype. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a bummer. It's a real bummer. Yeah, it's a real bummer. Yeah. yeah. For me, it's kind of echoing the same thing. You know, I looked and I didn't see anyone who was exactly. It wasn't uh, my voice of my community, who we were. We weren't telling the stories and you have a completely different slant and you have a different perspective. And when you actually have people who have lived a certain life experience, the nuances that you have in the story, the accuracies, looking at what does this mean? I mean, that was the thing about it. And so instead of waiting for someone to tell the stories that I wanted to tell, I decided to do it myself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a person. 
Um, you know, it's so interesting. I got my start when I was 17 on a soap opera, mm -hmm. which was very interesting to be engaging um, with probably some of the most incredible training that you could possibly have, but mm. I learned very quickly that it was most important, my um, physical attributes. Mm. And that was a really like overwhelming lesson to learn at 17 years old mm. and to navigate that. You know, I moved to New York fresh out of high school and you know, the main streets of the city, AMC was the hard knock university of AMC. <laughs> you know, like, that was kind of a joke, but I think it was just so interesting. Something that I did learn is that, like, there was like a secret club with all the women. Like, I remember mm. Kelly Ripa pulled me aside. <laughs> Hi, Kelly. <laughs> and and I just started on the show, and uh, <laughs> she. This is all she, my children. Yes, all yeah. my sorry, all my children. Yes, which is no longer anymore. Mm -hmm. And um, I've been acting a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and she pulled me aside, and she was like get out. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, I just got like a paying gig as an actor. And she was like, you're talented, get out. <laughs> and I was like, oh, and, but she was saying like, they would pull me aside and they were kind of showing me the ropes. Hmm. But I did, you know, it was like the first time I remember, oh, this is so terrible, but like I was on stage and, um, you know, very impressionable young girl. and. The mics were open from ahead. That's where all the producers were. And I remember um, they actually didn't turn them off, and I could hear them through the mics. And all the producers were talking mm. about what I looked like physically and, like, kind of picking me apart. And I was like, <laughs> I don't know if this is what I want to do with my life. Um, so that was. Was the conversation perfect? perfect. Yeah. <laughs> it was not. Perfect it person. was, you know, I was asked to lose weight, I was asked to, all these different things. So. I mean, from a different perspective is what is my place as a woman in this industry as I walk forward as an artist? Like, mm -hmm. I think I was faced with a lot of decisions from a very, what do I want to perpetuate? What is available to me and what am I working towards to perpetuate? And that's kind of, in the past 20 years, been the question for myself is what roles do I want to take as I get more opportunities? What do I want to get behind? And I've been super fortunate. I've worked with Krista Vernoff and Gloria calderon Kelly. I hope to work with you. Oh, but like I met these women when I was in my, you know, 20s. So I've I've gotten I've gotten really lucky and then I've had to really be the center of a storm in the, in a lot of different ways and it's, you know, continuing to develop. I mean, in approaching kind of your respect your respective kind of projects, what is like the litmus test for knowing that you're getting something right, like a female portrayal correct, mm. or a performance correct? Mm -hmm. When do you know like you're, you know, breaking ground on, uh, I don't know, something that, like a story that you want to tell in terms of the female? I think it's just whatever feels honest. Yeah. I mean, the. The female experience, we don't have to ask anybody. We know it. Right. <laughs> and I think that when you're in a position of power, you don't have to ask someone else's permission to do it, mm -hmm. which on a lot of shows I had to do. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's it's just trying to be as authentic. I mean, we have like the Bechtel test up on our wall. We have the DuVernay <laughs> test up on our wall. Makimori. Uh, sexy lamp test. There's lots of tests. Uh, do you guys know all the time? I don't know the sexy lamp. I, 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 I want to know. Sexy lamp is if the scene. Out? If the woman in the scene can be replaced with a sexy lamp, <laughs> and, you know, uh, uh, and the scene yeah. still makes sense, you have, you are failing. Exactly. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. I once got told. I, I, <laughs> 
I was I learned, shocked. <laughs> I learned to be shocked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was once told when I was I was writing a movie by uh, the that didn't get made by the uh, head of a major film studio that I had written my male characters the way we write the women. <laughs> what does that mean? It means they. they I, I looked they at him and I said, character. "That's what oh, they were just they're underdeveloped, <laughs> and, <laughs> no dimension, no one dimensional." And he was like, "Yeah," and I was like, "Oh, great! No, I'll work on my men." I'm, I'm real clear. Like your question is like, how are you clear when you've told a good story for women or a groundbreaking story? I think the fact that we are handed the reins of anything is groundbreaking in itself, and we are telling stories from the female perspective. So at this time, which was 10 or 15 years ago, mm -hmm. I was, it was, they were just bewildered because I had written the men like you're supposed to write the women. So like, they didn't say like you're supposed to, they but, it, it, but it, was, it was like, oh, you're, my men were underdeveloped, but my women had all the juicy screen time. And, uh, and sometimes I get that note uh, on Grey's Anatomy, uh, uh, occasionally from an actor. <laughs> and it's not that note, it's, could I? have a point of view and I go, oh yeah, sorry. You know, and it's, and I'm open to that note the way I hope that male showrunners are open to that note from their actresses. Um, but I'm told they often aren't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I think you still also have to be open to as a woman as we also have very different experiences too from our lives and each actor and each character that you have, they're looking at it from that perspective. And you, if you really want to mind what that performance is going to be, it's about looking and listening to that actor and how do we pull the best performance out that's really going to be authentic, which makes mm -hmm. it even more. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I think one, yeah, definitely, you hire us, you've already way ahead of the game. You yeah. did it. <laughs> you already, you know, and, and but I'm like, I'm a high achieving motherfucker. So, yeah. I, I just <laughs> like to get over the So, let's go a little bit higher. So, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, you, we do, but we naturally do that, I think, because we lean in to what it's supposed to be anyway but with all the characters. I'm super curious. Can I ask her a question? Yeah, go ahead. No, yeah. I'm super curious. <laughs> because Oops. you are a writer, but you are also yes. a director for hire, which yes. is a thing I've never been. Everything I've directed, I was either the showrunner on or I wrote it for mm -hmm. myself to direct. Yeah. What, what do you do? You must sometimes get horribly sexist, offensive yes. material that you're asked to direct. How is that? And that becomes a political navigation, which you know is a very hard thing to do. Mm -hmm. And of one befriending who's in charge of the show, putting it in a nice way, but also what we depend on, I depend on, are my actresses. Mm -hmm. Because once you start, you got Jennifer Love Hewitt saying, uh-uh then they gonna have to go back and rewrite something that day. Because we've already talked, and I'm like, I knew this was not gonna work, but she's picked up on it too. But it's us coming in as a team, and they're gonna listen to her more than me as a guest that's mm -hmm. coming in, and I don't have to rock the boat too much, and then I become the, labeled the troublemaker. Mm -hmm. Because you've brought up, well, not trying to be a troublemaker, you wanna make the best product possible, but it takes some time to have we have to work together in, in harmony with that. And you do need producers mm -hmm. that are able to come on to do that too. Because sometimes we may not always see every female. You may not even meet the showrunner sometimes on a show mm -hmm. as a guest. And you just are stuck with that particular writer. Mm -hmm. And so, but you need to be able to navigate enough to be able to have those conversations to get the right people on board and pick which battles you know you need to fight. Right. Because you cannot fight them all, honestly. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you guys kind of navigate those difficult conversations on set when something in the script doesn't <laughs> feel right or you're like, this is so wrong and inappropriate or like, how do you guys navigate that without rocking the boat, I suppose? 
with actor, with the actors or with well, just producers, wow. writers, like. Well, when we're writing it, <laughs> <laughs> I think well, Abigail. We don't have the luxury. Well, I think a partnership. I mean, I really like having a partnership with the actors. Yes. I feel like they're the they're the screen representation yes. of what is in our brains, and so. I do like to foster strong relationships with, especially my number ones, mm -hmm. uh, because they're they're the the one that everyone is falling behind. If your number one is happy, I feel like everyone is happy. Yes. And so I really try to have a very open relationship and saying we're partners here. Mm -hmm. We're doing this together. If there's a problem, come straight to me. Let's talk about it, and I'll explain to you why. I feel the way I feel and I mean honestly that's the best gift that you can give an actor because then there's an open door and I think on the other side of it it's it's about respect if yes. there's mutual respect if you've garnered if you've nourished respect on set and that everyone's empowered I think when people get really scared is they're like well what if it gets away from us and you know and that that is something delicate to navigate but it, it is, it, it, because everyone's creating, so everyone's sensitive. So I think that's part, like, as an actor coming forward, like, being like, okay, I know people broke this story for 1,700 hours before <laughs> I saw it. I know yeah. that there were boards and that everyone had a reason of why it got here, and then the studio gave notes, and then the network gave notes, and then someone else gave a note, and then someone's son gave a note. Like, <laughs> so I know it's been, like, noted before. It got, and then what's so interesting is when it kind of lands in front of you, you don't have any of that lens. So you're just like authentic, uh -huh. not authentic, authentic, not authentic. Oh, that feels like a note, not a note. Not. And so it's really like something that I've been working on because it's always a work in progress is how to ask questions, like to just put questions like, well, what do you think about this? And what is this? What is the reason behind it? Tell me more about this. And it's hard when you're under the gun, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, I think it's just it's just a dance. And the, what Gloria said is the first step is just the invitation to know that there truly is an open channel when you say that, and I and I think also it's that it is incumbent on the lead, and kind of to your question about being the, a, a woman on set and in the role of the lead actor, I feel like it's my job to be the um, head of the acting department. You know, not only am I looking out for myself, but I'm looking out for everyone. And I feel like when I see another woman who might be uncomfortable or feels uncomfortable or dressed, in, or even any actor, like I feel like it's my job because, like what you said, I know that they'll listen to me. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it's another job on top of like being an actor and creating a character. I feel like I'm the keeper of, of uh, you know, support and, and that kind of matriarchal nurturing energy when, when I'm on a set. And I've gotten a lot of feedback from other actors that I've worked with. And because at the end of the day, everyone's performance, I mean, I want everyone to be great because yes. they make mm -hmm. us all look great. So I, so that's, I'm rooting for everyone on, off, you know, so I'm, but I'm not like everyone, but I do think that that's more of like a, a matriarch approach. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what we're talking about is more women in these roles mm -hmm. will give a more nurturing. And this isn't like a carte blanche statement, but, but I think that we just need more of that to balance it out. I think there is something also very vulnerable about saying, like what I'll say if, they, if, if, we, are end, if we end up in, an, in, in a disagreement about the mm -hmm. material, I'll say, here's my ask. My ask is that you give it your all because at the table read, if you do, if you don't tank it, if huh. you give it your all and it doesn't work, you have proved to me that you are right. Yes, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. of course. So, and I will change it. Yeah, don't sabotage mm -hmm. it. Yeah. So if you sabotage it, then we're not, we're not working together. We're both trying to make no. something great. So my, my advice would be crush it at the table. Oh. And if it doesn't work, guess what? And that's what's I'm gonna so say beautiful. I'm sorry and I'm gonna change it. And yeah. great leaders, like they, they say like it either works or it doesn't. 
you know, they can they can know the difference between. And so, and if you're all on the same page of like the material, like we're all serving this other thing, like like they created it, but something else went through them. So if we're serving this like deeper creative soul of the material, then we're all on the same page, you know? So I think that's part of it is like taking ourselves <coughs> and our egos out of it, which yes. is you know, hard to. Yeah, so. I think one of, the, one of the things when we talk about the female gaze is that this whole town was built, this whole town was built by men. Mm -hmm. It was built at a time when women were told to show up and look pretty under the lights and shut up. And lose and weight. And say the lines is written <laughs> yeah. and lose weight and here take these pills. And all of the structures <laughs> in the town were built by men. So, um, so the process that Abigail's talking about of I'm an artist too, and I have to say these words, the process mm -hmm. that Tina's talking about of I'm an artist, I'm a guest here, I've inherited this script. Um, in an ideal world, that's a conversation mm -hmm. where if I'm working with Tina and I'm working with Abigail, they're coming to me and they're saying, we don't get it, we don't get it. And I can say, oh yeah, when you put it like that, let me think about it, let me work on it some more. But the way the system is devised is what Abigail described, is like, by the time you've gotten that script, it's been through so many notes processes and so many, like, can you get this, can you make this more clear for, we talk about flow, folding laundry in Ohio, mm -hmm. lady. Like, like she's, she's not gonna be clear because she's multitasking. Can we put it in dialogue, can we put it in dialogue? So the actors will often be like, this is just exposition, I can find no way to make this true. And you're like, yeah, I agree with you and and I think that one of the things that that women do more successfully often is say hey yeah that was a note can you try to make it feel true for me or 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 we reach a certain level of power where we can go yeah no I agree don't say it <laughs> but it's but we have to look at all the systems yeah. because the way it's set up you're shooting 16 hours a day and everybody's being everybody's yeah. worked into the ground and by the time she's getting the script and by the time Tina's getting the script they have no days to prep it and mm -hmm. she has no days uh, to memorize okay. it and if she's questioning the dialogue and we're having to rewrite it on the day we want to cry because we wanted to get home to our kid and it's all a mess <laughs> I will say that I've been for sure served and I think Abby and I are close we've worked together a lot mm -hmm. and we're close friends mm -hmm. when she's having a hard time on a show I, I'm I'm the person she calls to talk about what it's like to be a number one. Mm -hmm. And that made me such a better showrunner. Mm -hmm. Because now when the actors call, I can put myself in their bodies and go, oh God, this would be a call from Abby. And I'd be like, that asshole, don't do it. <laughs> so I can't be the asshole now. I have to imagine that this actor calling me is Abby. And, I, mm -hmm. and it changes how I approach the conversation, the material. Mm -hmm. So I do wish that all actors would would take writing classes and directing classes and that directors would write and act. I wish that we would all, that's why I directed. I wanted to have mm -hmm. that experience yeah. too. I just think we need a more holistic and and feminine, mm -hmm. you know, the male brain is, is linear and the female brain is circular and we need to come at it in a more holistic way, which is why women should take over the town. <laughs> I agree with that. It's true. And, and, you know, on the other side of that, it's so, I mean, I'm so fortunate that I have these great friends, and Krista in particular, to call, because I can see it from another perspective. And I think that is something for the actor part of it, is that 
uh, you know, the town is built to keep the actors away from all of the things, you know, and yeah. like we're not brought into the process either. So oh. that has been of a great advantage to me to understand what everyone else does. It makes me more of a, a, a team player. But I'm like, how could I be a team player if I didn't know what are you guys are going through? You know, so that's, you know, we're still finding our way. And, the, mm -hmm. and part of these conversations is opening that up, mm -hmm. you know, that it's kind of been like, the night, no one knows how it works, you know, and we're like, <laughs> yeah. nah, can, can we just talk about it? <laughs> I think that's so great. Yeah. What has been like a frustrating note that you've gotten from a studio exec, network exec, that you were just like, or just a little How work. long do you have? <laughs> <laughs> that you're like this, oh, I just wish they could see what I'm, try to convey in this storyline or this piece of dialogue or what have you. I sold a pilot to CBS that was about my husband and I when we were younger. And they said, Gloria, we love it and we would love to work with you, but there are no funny Latina women. <gasps> so, um, oh, God. <laughs> we're, we're gonna, we're gonna pick it up with the contingent. It's gonna be cast contingent. Mm. So we're gonna have to do some sort of search to find <laughs> a beautiful Latina that's hilarious. Okay. Um, and so that was like, wow. And then it was like, oh, here's five that are brilliant. And what, like, by the way, there were a million, but here's yeah. like ones that will pass the CBS code. Mm -hmm. of Who's gonna test for them? Yep, no, 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 yep. No. And then what ended up being hilarious is they ended up using a lot, the, the girl that was my number two, they took CW, took her to star in Roswell. And then they're like, oh, like all the people I found that weren't that hard to find. How is this? So that was really, really frustrating for me hmm. is that they is is when I hear stuff like that. Um, which is which was last year, <laughs> you know. So um, we have a lot of work to do. Yeah, we have a lot. Of work we have a lot of work. To, I mean, that's we the what we're saying is do. that we are in conversation. Like we weren't having this conversation a few years ago. Yeah. So that's incredible progress. But we have a lot of work to do, and it's perfectly fine to be in a deep period of overcorrection until we get to balance, because that's what we want is balance. You know. Just wait till they say they really want you guys to be sexy and a love scene, and that just means you go topless. No. And that's not, <clears throat> and that's not what we're gonna necessarily do, because I'm gonna talk to each actor, the male, woman, whoever's in the scene. What are you comfortable with individually? You can make it. You know, I mean, how many people have had sex with a bra and you still got a sexy? I mean, come on, yeah. it's not gonna kill it if you're doing it right. So it's not even a problem. Let's just keep it real. So I mean, but it's like, but I am not going to endanger or make this actress uncomfortable mm -hmm. because you think you see her breast, that's going to be attractive. Trust me, her looking petrified and feeling like she's being molested on camera is gonna be sexy. Mm -hmm. No, but you hear these things, and it's a matter of one. I'm not. There, those are the times where, yes, as a guest director, you're like, yeah, you're really putting a hard, because there's certain things I'm not gonna bend on, mm -hmm. because I'm just not gonna do, because that's not humanly right. Yeah. Um, and there, creatively, we will find balance, we will work out things, but no, I'm going to talk to that particular actor or actress, we're gonna talk about what their comfort level is, this is what I envision how it should be shot, and then we will go from there. And mm -hmm. I can tell you, even with, I can see the pressure with actresses who are like, well, I'll sign the writer and do it, but I'm like, baby, you're not comfortable. Oh, well, we're not doing it. <laughs> Done. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you, you hear so oh, many yeah. ludicrous things mm -hmm. that just come across with it, um, or that people want to have, you know, they want to serve margaritas at a close set in a sex scene, that kind of thing, too. <laughs> mm. um, and those are producers ordering. 
at Village while that actress is doing it. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't happen <laughs> when I'm directing. Yeah. Wow. You got to go. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting. <laughs> like a showrunner director, like the way it looks like being kind of like part of um, the chorus or, you know, paint, I, I, as an actor, I feel like I'm part of the orchestra, right? And the director in the show, they're, you know, they're conducting, you know? So it, it's like, how do you find your space? in the musical piece, you know, and, and, but it does take someone like you doing that. It's like, oh, trust, someone I can trust. And yes. so I think so much of part of it is like hiring people that you trust, like navigating that. I mean, it's, it's, it's so tricky and, and, and how to create a healthy system. You know, we are in the middle of figuring this out right now. And we're a part of great, like we are standing in the middle of great change. And it's hard to remember that because we're standing in the middle of it. So you can't yes. see it. Yeah. But we are literally standing in the middle of it. And it's exciting. <laughs> remember TV campers, this year, due to the pandemic, ATX Festival season nine is going virtual, June 5th through 7th, 2020. It's ATX TV from the couch. For information about the status of the festival, go to atxfestival.com or follow us on social media at ATX Festival. Now, back to the panel. Um, I do want to ask you guys, because, Abiel, your current show, Reprisal, really, uh, violence, it's, very, very, it's a very violent show, right? Mm -hmm. I'm just kind of wondering, depicting violence against women mm -hmm. in a kind of way that's not gratuitous, in a way that makes sense. I mean, how do you guys approach something like that mm -hmm. where it's not, mm. like I said, gratuitous, feels like there is intention behind it? Mm -hmm. How do you do it in a very respectful way, but not also kind of crossing the line necessarily? I choose not to depict violence against women. Uh, I, we, but And yet, we had a very powerful episode that was about sexual assault last mm -hmm. season. There was no violence against women depicted, but we were very careful to show how a, a rape mm -hmm. kit can feel like yes. another violation yes. after you've been violated. And to talk about the female gaze, to, to look at it from... It was amazing to me with all the rape that we see on TV. That was the first time that you've ever, ever on network television seen an entire rape kit, ever. Mm -hmm. So they did sort of a little bit of one on, on Special Victims Unit, but that we are so quick to depict the violence as a plot point, but not the fallout. Mm -hmm. And we so often tell rape stories through the male gaze, mm -hmm. through the experience of the husband who's gonna get revenge. They're making a movie about it right now with yeah. major movie stars. The husband's gonna get revenge because his friend raped his wife. Mm -hmm. The cop who's gonna find the guy. Where are the women? Mm -hmm. Where are the women whose lives are permanently impacted? They're not depicted and their voices aren't in the room. And their point of view is not depicted because the entire crew is white men. So we have a problem that is real and that impacts all of society. When we talk about rape culture, we're, we're, Hollywood is, is, is a huge part of the problem. We normalize it, we make it a plot point, we don't look at it from the female perspective and therefore we're inured to it. Oh, another person got raped. We don't even feel it. And, and so I, I, I choose not to depict violence against women. Uh, I also <laughs> choose not to. I also choose not to do any violence against women. 
Um, we've done stories about, we did Me Too storylines mm -hmm. where people told stories. Uh, but I just feel like the visual is very important. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think we just, again, we normalize it and see things so much. And so for me, it's more about the conversation that people have after. Mm -hmm. uh, that's where I think yes. growth and, you know, like we are, we're culture makers. And so what we make affects conversations that y'all are having in your homes. And, or at least it, hopefully it does if we're doing it right. And so I feel like I'd, I'm so much more interested in the healing and the conversations in the aftermath, so I also choose to not depict. I totally that. did do violence against women. I just realized. I'm <laughs> 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 I'm like, oh my god, they're gonna cut it together. They're gonna show. I did domestic violence story where I did depict a woman getting hit, but I this but season or this, this upcoming season. season. This upcoming yeah. season. Uh, by um. but. And and yet, I was making a really Conscious. greater point, and I don't even yeah. want to talk about it because I'm so excited right. by the scene. So, uh, but yes, but yeah. you have to be super conscious yeah. about it. And what's the uh, the question is always, why are we doing this, and what's mm -hmm. the message we're sending? And exactly, yeah, yeah. Because I think if you don't have that, I mean, one, I mean, I've either been on the part of where the woman decides I'm not going to be a victim, and I, to, you know, Queen of the South is very full of that. Teresa will kill your ass, and that'll be it. I mean, but you know, but where she takes it and you don't need a guy to do the revenge for her. No, she does it herself. Or two, it's about, yes, what is the fallout? What happens with that rape kid? Mm -hmm. And I just had to do something with a new Netflix show where a young girl who's 16 is raped by her friends. Mm -hmm. And now you have a second rape and doing mm -hmm. that rape kit. Mm -hmm. So of us going through of how every, the, the photos, the swabs, the back, this right here, this right here, mm -hmm. how, and also where you are and where your trauma is, going under your fingernails. Without knowing, having to know that you're reliving that trauma, I think that gives another perspective on looking at something you've seen a million times. And I think that's where you come in and you put in, yes, how, what is the- What is the purpose? What is the right. purpose of this? And does this serve story too, in the general sense of even with violence? What's the character motivation in this? What is that going to bring? How does that lead us? Does it push the story ahead? So I think it's more than just thinking about it. What is gratuitous? What is actually authenticating, mm -hmm. authenticating and pushing story and developing character? Which I think you should always ask in any aspect of whatever you do in filmmaking. Yeah. But even like, you know, we have uh, standards and practices. It's the first time. My Netflix show never had standards and practices. <laughs> oh, yeah. And we now do, and it's been a while. It's been a minute. <laughs> and I was so stunned because we're going through old episodes and recutting them for CBS mm -hmm. and mm. the standards and practices we get that are, and I've been on a lot of, sh you know, tons of shows mm. and I've seen what those are and they're hilarious. Um, <laughs> I, I think actually an episode I wrote of Mixology for ABC was the most, uh, the word penis was used the most in my episodes. So. <laughs> <laughs> Ever in the You're history welcome. of television? You're Excellent. Welcome. I think in the history of ABC. Um, I, had, I had like 15 and they would only allow eight. So. Uh, anyway, um, you only get eight. Yeah, you only get eight. You only get eight. You only get eight. <laughs> but I was really stunned by speaking of like broken system. We have a young teenage uh, love story that that we're very proud of. A young lesbian love story, mm -hmm. and we have uh, the girls kissing. Sometimes loving, sweet. It's so chaste. Like one of my favorite things about it is it's so not sexy, mm -hmm. it's so like sweet. Teenage love. That's every single time that's marked. Yes. Mm. Wow. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah. what? <laughs> like the most sweet little PG kiss. This is a transition to like broadcasts. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but you can argue that. Are you arguing yeah, oh, that? Oh, we argued okay. and it's fine. It's fine they're <laughs> letting us do it. But the fact that it's on there, right. when so much violence mm -hmm. is not marked, 
But you got two girls kissing. Oh, t- danger. That's on S&P. Sweet and so, you know, loving, con- con- asking for each other's consent. They don't I mean, CBS where all the CSIs are oh, aired. <laughs> Talk about a I lot of like, naked female corpses. Yeah. <laughs> I, I so. was dead in a CSI. I'm just going to put that in. <laughs> <laughs> I did it. I did it. <laughs> um, you know, kind of going to reprisal because, mm-hmm. you know, making conscious choices, I felt like um, I hadn't seen a woman like her before, and this is the aftermath story. Oh. Like, the inciting incident does take place in the, in the teaser of the first episode, but I felt like I knew where it was going. So... And I really feel like in earning a story, you know, if you look at Ben Hur, you know, when you see Ben Hur, he's parched, he's been beaten, you know, and he goes on this epic journey, but you needed to see him totally laid out before you go and see all the things that he's going to do to make something of his life. And I felt like I was looking for something that was kind of in that epic journey. And mm. um, there was a lot of consciousness in making those decisions. Um, along the way of what to show, what not to show. And I think I felt like I could give myself over completely because I knew where it was going. And also, I hadn't seen a lot of roles like that. Like, really, the only one that people are like, oh, Kill Bill. I'm like, we've got one other Mm -hmm. reference to to this. So I felt like, you know, I kind of keep saying, like, a vote for Doris is a vote for all women. You know, because like, (laughs) because then it's like, because she is actually very typically male. Mm-hmm. The role is written mm-hmm. like, you know, 10 years ago, it would have been a man. It would mm-hmm. not have been a woman. So I thought that was really interesting to step into that and also to play. Like, I'm always really interested in playing with the masculine and the feminine mm-hmm. in each role. And because she's so feminine on the outside, I get to play with all of these really mm-hmm. wildly masculine kind of classic archetypes on the mm-hmm. inside. And so so that was what was so interesting to me about pursuing her it was a total transformation and but we, we were navigating it there was one scene in the pilot where um my character is uh, hit repeatedly by ron mm-hmm. perlman who is a very large man and that was very interesting to navigate that day um because as we were kind of doing it you know when when i really reacted the way that i would <coughs> by someone hitting me like which happens every day and I actually like responded in the way that like nobody could handle it. And I looked up and there were 27 men in the room. And the only other woman was my assistant, Stephanie, who's <laughs> sitting right there. And so, but so it was so interesting, like nobody could handle it being real, but I'm like, you wrote it <laughs> and we know where we're going. So we have to also toe the line of not shying away. As long as we know where we're going, then mm-hmm. we can really show the reality. Cause that's the thing that I'm very curious about is um, if there is a redemption, if you know, if we can really show that part of it, I don't want to shy away from those things as a woman because I want to show how powerful we are. There is nothing more powerful than a broken woman who has rebuilt herself. And so I felt like that was the essence of the story, which is what engaged me. But it was a, you know, a, a constant conversation and navigating and navigating other people's comfort versus reality and. And a lot of it's just taste in filmmaking, like mm-hmm. having to trust the filmmakers that at the end of the day, the way that they're going to edit it, that it's going to be full of consciousness. And I did feel that about my showrunner. Like, also, my character does not lead with her sexuality. She is one step ahead. It's very intellectual. It's very, like, calculated in chess moves. And I thought that was really important to offset any of the violence. And also, 
she kills everyone. Like she's kind of the one that goes and kills all the kids, kills everyone. So I felt like spoilers. Spoilers. <laughs> the end. It was in the teaser, don't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I do want to ask you because you've said that you think that reprisal and Doris or Kathleen, like she is. Um, kind of representative of this time where it's kind of interesting that it's coming at this time in, you know, the industry. Just can yeah. you elaborate on that a little bit and well, why you think it's important? I for... think there's a lot of beautiful feminine rage on the planet. Mm -hmm. And um, <laughs> I don't support people going out and, you know, seeking vengeance. I, I'm like not a revenge mm -hmm. person at all, by the way. <laughs> like, I'm I like, <laughs> but for people like her, yeah. you know, that want to watch the show and get it out, like we, I, like what are the healthy ways that we can explore? Because that's the thing, what's so interesting now that, you know, as people are finding the show and watching, they're like, you're such a bad, like you just gave, gave it to them, you know? But because there's something that we are longing for, to, and also because we need a release as a society. Mm -hmm. We need to find healthy release mm -hmm. for this rage that is within us. And so I think that's like part of trying to be part of the solution and entertainment is part of that. And so how do we find healthy ways to, you know, experiment and explore that? Um, I feel like, especially in recently, like there has been a concerted effort to really kind of embrace the female perspective, you know, in front of the camera, on behind the camera, in the writer's room, all, you know, from the top down, right? Um, but I feel like there's still a long way to go, clearly. Mm -hmm. um, what does progress look like to you guys? Is it like parody on set? Mm -hmm. Is it, you know, in the writer's room? What, yeah, what are your thoughts on what progress means as we're kind of still kind of working toward that? Uh, when I'm not referred to as a female showrunner. Yeah. Yeah. Or a female director. Yes. Or when it's just right. a writer and yeah. director. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I can only, I think there's been a lot of progress and I think we have a long way to go. And what I try to do is always pay attention, am I progressing? Mm. And can I, if I'm not progressing, then I can't help others to progress. So what I want desperately is for all the powerful white men I know to add their voices to ours and to ask how they can help and to actually change what the what the crews and the department heads look like and how the stories are told and what the writers room looks like i want it so badly and i get vengeful and rageful sometimes <laughs> inside my head i'm a scorpio uh, why, why don't they and then i had this experience uh, where I was like giving advice on Twitter, like we do, you yeah, know, yeah, like, hey, yeah. can I answer your questions? Yeah, yeah. And, and I answered a question about like, how do you become a screenwriter? And uh, and I was like, move, you know, move to LA and get invited to parties and talk to people and talk to other assistants. And, 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 um, and somebody commented, you forgot to say be white. Hmm. Hmm. And I, my first reaction was, I started to type even, mm -hmm. um, you know, I work with so many screenwriters of color and, and I stopped there mm -hmm. because I realized that they all have MFAs in screenwriting, all the screenwriters of mm -hmm. color that I work with, whereas white people can wander to town with yes. no degree like mm -hmm. I did. My, my degree is in acting. I have a BFA in acting. She's a really good I didn't go to writing school. <laughs> I went to parties and I was like, hey, read my script. <laughs> 
And that is a privilege I never understood was a privilege until that moment. Mm. And and to realize that you're just sitting on a mountain of privilege with a lot of people who need you to rise up and use your fucking voice and fight that battle so that the town is more balanced. It helps me understand in a visceral way that some of my peers are not evil, they're just oblivious in the way that I was oblivious. And now I have to challenge myself to add my voice and to come up with new solutions to help uh, people of color, to, to help rebalance in a way that, it, that doesn't affect me personally, but does, because it affects the value and the quality of my storytelling. Um, and to really analyze and understand my privilege. Uh, and so that's, I don't know, that's progress for me is, am I progressing and can I help other people progress? Because the town is gonna change. It's gonna, mm -hmm. ch we're changing it. Um, and the only way I know how to look at it is from the inside out. Mm. And I feel like we're, we're looking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. I mean, I think that you have to look yeah. at your writer's room and you have to look at your yeah. set. Yeah. That, is it a microcosm of the world? Mm. Because that's part of the thing. I mean, I can't tell you, I've been in three writer's rooms as a producer and I am always, it's only me and maybe one other person mm -hmm. of color mm -hmm. and maybe another woman, uh, with the exception of one show and that was the first one that I did. And when I find that one is one, I think your stories come out much better when you have so many different perspectives and not the same one, mm -hmm. and everybody comes in with a white guy with a male with a baseball cap, and it's the same everybody's friend who's been on every same damn show. And then two, making sure that when you actually have those writers in your room, mm -hmm. the hardest job to get is the second time for a staff fighter, that's right. getting the second job. Mm -hmm. And that's what people don't get. You're the minority hire for season one, now what? So that's also, I think that's something that is Really, if you have that position as a showrunner of making sure that things are getting put and the groundwork is laid to give you a chance to have a career. Because with that just one chance, that's all you got. And they walk around scared. And it's in fear anyway that you have in a writer's room. You just have fear. Um, but you have extra fear when you're like, I really can't even say anything or pitch this because I, I'm, I don't know if I won't be invited back because I know they're not gonna get that free check for having me in this room. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that, and you have to look on set and have that same thing. Um, I mean, I feel like, I mean, I really gravitate towards Pose, and I think that Pose does a very good job uh, mm -hmm. of what they have done with their writers room, what they mm -hmm. did with their cast, what they do with their crew, and how everybody is respective, and everybody's coming from so many different perspectives. But I think you have to build the environment that you want us to have. And the thing is, that does require coming out, educating yourself, and doing that. And not necessarily, at sometimes I have felt myself put in a position where I need to educate you about being black, gay, and a woman. And I ain't got that kind of time. <laughs> um, uh, I'm like, how much time I, do you have? How much time do you have? How much time? Girl, how much time? <laughs> I mean, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. yeah, but I think, and that's one of those things of having those conversations, but that's about us being aware. And when you know better, you do better. And so the thing is, yes, now you know this X, Y, Z, and what do you do? That is imparted to everybody in your room. And when they go off and they get a show, go to another show, making sure that keeps going. Mm -hmm. And something has to be put in place to really make these studios do that. And that's what's missing. Too. Mm. It's yeah. not there. It's interesting because really the only thing that they'll respond to is um, 
publicity and money. Shame. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, shame. I'm not being shaming. But, but being hit in their publicity. wallets. <laughs> yeah. Publicity. Like yeah. those are uh, those are the things that yeah. are it talks. You know, we respond to and so and I you know, I think you touched on this, Gloria outside was I, I think something that I would love to see is more progress in process of training. Yes. Because that's the yeah. thing is you know, a lot of the feedback we're getting is, well, they can't because they haven't done and they haven't, and they don't have the experience. But if they're not even given the opportunities and there aren't even the <laughs> programs, mm -hmm. so along with this explosion of content, someone's got to make it, right? But nobody's training the people to make it. And so the content is, like the quality is kind of like, it's like, oh my gosh, this was so good. But there were 700 things that were really not good. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that, so more stuff is being made but we're not training the variety of people that we need to support it. So people are just keep hiring the same people over it because they, well, they've got a little more experience. So I think we actually like systemically have to start a training program to support the community of content that's being made because yeah. we, it's, it's gotten too vast. Yeah. It's gotten beyond yeah. all of us. So we have to support being able to hire all of these people, but we have to give them the training. And the, and the colleges and the schools and the thing, they're not doing, they're not doing it. They're not cutting it for like what we need in LA and what we're making around the world. Yeah. So I think that's something I'd be very curious about mm -hmm. is how we train people. I think training is real. I did a yeah. free series here at YouTube, at the U right behind us, a uh, free Hollywood 101 class that's on YouTube. So mm -hmm. anybody can watch it. <laughs> Oh, Put it in your phone. It's free. No one made money. It's free. I don't make money on it. It's just for free. I think that, yes, I think this conversation is so enormous. And my, I'm really trying to have the conversation with the industry about how can we, I think there's a real, this shift is so fascinating. It's so fascinating to be in Hollywood in this moment. Because mm -hmm. I really came up during a different time. Mm -hmm where it was like, you were so happy to be the woman and you were just kind of, I want to stay here, so I'm going to shut up and mm -hmm. deal with the sexual harassment. Um, and now it's uh, such a different time and it's so exciting and there is this sort of over-correction thing that's happening that we're coming back to. The thing that I really find frustrating um, is, the, is the perception that Hollywood has that diversity is happening everywhere and that white people can't get jobs anymore. <laughs> it is constant that I hear, constantly I'm hearing, must be great to be you, Latina Sharp, must be great to be you. I'm like, well, it is great to be me. I'm working and Tanya Siracha's working. Right. And then there are 480 white men working. That's it. Yeah. Like, the yeah. perception every year, they're like, oh, I mean, I've heard from men who know me, know me, I'm liberal and love, and I love them. They're like, hope I get a writing job this year, man. I'm not a person of color. And that, yeah. I've yeah. seen, yeah. like, do, and we know that's see the, <laughs> do you see the staffs? Yeah. The staffs are still, what? Like, it's just not, I don't know who's telling this. I don't know if this is an agent or a manager wanting to cushion the blow that they can't hear that maybe their piece of material was not responded to. <laughs> but to hear that, oh, you, oh, must be nice to be a woman. You're getting, it's yeah, not yeah. still, it's, it's like, still go really not. Go to a room and look go at it. Go to any room, and look it's at still it. not true. Oh. It's still not true. Yeah. So I, I think there's also the perpetuation of that. And also I mm. feel like this bastion of, of older cis white men that are terrified, I think are not seeing how much we desperately need them. Like the, the guys that are smart are the Mike Royces, who's my partner, mm. who saw that like, yeah. hey, I have this skill and I want to be part of the solution. Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna I'm gonna partner with you and let's figure out a way to like help people out.
And so all of the writers on my staff are pre-showrunner. If they want to learn any step of the process, they can. They can be in my editing bay. That's they good. can be in on cat. They all send them great. the casting That's tapes. Great. They can sit, they can, whatever they want to be a part of, like our first table reads tomorrow, and they're like, what time should we be there? I'm like, 10 o'clock is the production meeting. Come to the production meeting and see what that looks like. Yeah. See how we talk to our heads of department. See what we, and every That's year rare. with our heads of department. That's rare. You got a show running program. Yeah, going that's what room. we're trying to do, and that's smart. That, but it's, it's but smart. it's also yeah. I feel like you give people when you give people opportunity, they will kill for you. Yes, you will. When yeah. you give people opportunity, the gratitude that they have or that they should have, <laughs> because some people don't. But the one, but the ones that do, like they really get it. Like it's really amazing and powerful, and I think that we can really activate all of these one men who are like, I want to be part of the solution. I just don't know what to do, and I'm afraid to talk right now because I don't want to be offended. We, oh my God, we need these men. We mm -hmm. need these men mm -hmm. because there's a lot of people that are coming up that need support and help and guidance in how to be the CEO of the company that is being a showrunner and storyteller and to do it well and to partner and not be threatened. We don't want, you know, I, I there's room for them here. There's room for all of us. There's 500 shows. Oh, by the way, it's hard. What you're talking about doing, mm -hmm. taking people with you all the time, I'm getting better at it and better at it. <laughs> You're tired when you're running yeah. a show. It's you're a working nice 16 hours a day. And when you get to go up to post, you're like, <laughs> I get to sit in the dark by myself with my popcorn <laughs> and not talk to anybody. I like watch the show and tell them how to fix it. And I don't have to yeah. collaborate. <laughs> I, I don't have to teach. Yeah. I just get a qu little quiet time. It was really hard for me. I, a season 14, yeah. I was like, I just, that was my space. And then it was like, Okay, I'll bring people teaching post. You know, it yeah. takes something, but it's, it's hard. but we all have to do it. It's hard. And I mean, and I, I give like, as far as like with uh, Ryan Murphy, yes, the half initiative program, and he makes the directors, we have to have a mentee that shadow us. So throughout the process. And yes, it's time where I'm like, oh my God, I, I'm trying to figure this out. Mm -hmm. I really can't really, <laughs> like, I, I, I don't know what to tell you. I, mean, like, I don't know what the I hell know, I'm what doing. Do you what do you think? What do you think? I don't know. I took four shadows. And it is, and it's it is hard because you're trying to process things and teach, right. but then I try to remind myself, I would have killed a small kitten to have this opportunity <laughs> to be coming in. But I'm like, so no matter what, how little or how much, I'm like, it's okay for this kid to come in. Let's sit in. We'll, you know, you watch, and then we'll talk afterwards about what's going on. But or you come in from X amount of time to X amount of time. Mm -hmm. So then I know that I'll have enough time to still do my one-on-one -on -one that I need to do. Mm -hmm. But you get a chance to be invited to the process to see enough of a glimpse that we can still have a discussion later on when you can have time. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But and, that, and that's part of the thing. It's not enough time. So if enough of us are doing it, maybe it would be enough time. My but, new idea is I'm going to start. Um, rotating the writers, like each one of them is gonna be CC'd on all my emails for one day. <laughs> oh, good. Wow. I want them to wow. see, I want them, A, it's selfish. I want them to understand <laughs> that when I don't Everything get to doing. their script that they kill themselves for to get in on deadline and I yeah. don't get to it for 16 hours, they know I want them to know why. Yes. <laughs> but also I want them to see what it takes, how, it's 150 emails an hour and you're, it's mm -hmm. it's all day and I want, I want to help teach and I think that that that's an yeah. easy way to, to do it. Yeah, that's yeah. A good way. I just want to take a moment to, to say about like investment and opportunity. Um, Krista Vernoff gave me the opportunity of my life. I could not get a job in Los Angeles. Could not. Nobody wanted to hire me. I wasn't a good at. I wasn't this. I wasn't that. And um, I auditioned she was just for. Too pretty. You guys. <laughs> <laughs> do a lot. Do a lot of um, but I. 
you know, I read this beautiful script that she wrote called Introducing Lenny Rose, and I just fell in love with it. And it was so interesting, like, just to kind of bring it down to, like, passion and, like, love, like, like the, the positive stories that come out of all this. Like, she wrote, she and I never met. She wrote the script. I read it, weeping, wrote a song for it. Like, mm. it totally consumed me. <laughs> nobody wanted to see me. Like, literally, nobody wanted to see me for the part. Casting director, my own manager. I had to do this whole, like, um... Mm. I had to do like a whole speech to her. They didn't want Julie Roberts for Pretty Woman. They didn't want Halle Berry for Monster. Maybe they don't know what they want. You know, I had to do like a whole like Dustin Hoffman and you know speech to, to my own manager. And um, so and because I just I just loved it. And by some magical events, I got an audition. Krista didn't see it <laughs> first time around. First time around, and then another magical series. And then I came in, and she, saw, and then we, con and then I got to be the lead of her, and it totally changed my life because I got to not only meet, um, you know, a brilliant writer and creator who was like on the cusp because Grey's Anatomy hadn't come out yet, so it was like about to come out, but I got to kind of like learn on the job. Like her, she invested in me, mm. and I just, she poured herself into me, and I poured myself into the part. And then we got to do it again. And Gloria gave me my first comedy job. Nobody thought I was funny. And then she Hilarious. gave me a, my first episode, or her episode of How I Met Your Mother. And I was like, oh my God, you're funny, you know? And it's so interesting, like, just to kind of like remind people of like, at the, you know, kind of going back to the self and like belief, like these are things that you have to just hold so close to your soul and believe in yourself. And I do think that there's something like unbridled and magical about like if you just kind of keep following that passion and that desire and and really just try and put yourself in the with people that are so like deep and lovely and wonderful and like-minded and you don't give up you know because so much of it is like I just didn't give up like I didn't work for a long time and I went to acting class every single day before mm. I got that pilot Lenny Rose with Krista like I was working every day before I was working mm. I was training myself in between like still I go to acting class in between every job um, I write, I produce, I, I, there's so much that people don't see. And all of these women, we just met, but I feel good about saying this, <laughs> like, like are, are doing that even when, even when they're not paid for it. You know, Krista directed a short that I got to be in because she just wanted to direct. She didn't get paid for that. She lost money on it, you know? Like, so there's something about just like kind of to be great, you know, to be against all odds if we're, you know, being in the minority. Like at the end, it's like, what if I just like became great, you know, and like kind of hold that as your north star. You invested your north in star. yourself. Mm -hmm. huh? You invested in yourself. I did, and a lot of other people invested in me too. And two of the women are in stage night, and so I just feel like that is such a worthy investment. And to never stop, if if you really have this deep passion, and you want to make change in the industry. That is the best. When the doors are closing, you don't have a win. That is the best investment is just to get great at this thing that you love and find your way in with it, you know, because it will change as it goes along. Yeah. You're going to work 16 so hours a day mm -hmm. once you break yeah. in. Yeah. So you may as well work 16 <laughs> hours a day at breaking in. And if you're not doing that, I mean, that's what else great you can practice. do. Yeah, it's a new yeah. set. Of, it's a new set of problems. But thank God that I've just had a lot of work under my belt before. People saw me on Mad Men. Like, really, that was the first. I'd worked for 10 years, though, before people saw me on the show. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, my God. Thank God. <laughs> Thank yeah. God that this didn't shake me because I've yeah. been working on myself and doing the work and, and continue to it. Never, 
ever stops. There's no like, we haven't gotten anywhere. You know, we're still, cre- you know, the, the desire to create is never ending. Mm-hmm. And then the community is really the thing that is so um, nourishing, you know, so creating that here and with you guys is, is so incredible. I don't know if we have time for audience questions, but before I do, sorry, I have one last question. Um, just in terms of like who out there in Hollywood is doing good work in terms of like challenging conventions for women or kind of breaking that, the mold. I think they're sitting on the stage right now. I mean, there's a lot of, a, a lot. Lena Waithe, Issa Rae, Ava, Ava, Shonda, Shonda. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
All right, I guess one more question. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, kind of going off of that, um, was there a moment when you just felt like the odds were against you, you know, you, you believed in yourself, but you weren't making it, and mm -hmm. you felt like quitting? And what happened? Girl, that was um, yesterday. What was said to you? What inspired you to just say, you know what? I want to quit, but I'm I'm gonna keep at this. Mm. I was a singing waitress until I was almost thirty. Oh my gosh! I could sing for you if you want. <laughs> Still there. Sixteen hours a day. I was a singing waitress. So yeah, there were a lot of there was a lot there uh, there. There's a lot of times you want to just lie down and quit. You give your, I think, you give yourself permission to lie down, but not to quit. Mm. So on the just bad days, the bad weeks, the bad months, you give yourself permission to feel it. You mm. close the shades and you put on the sad music and you cry and you scream and you hit the pillow and you say to your friends, they don't see me, they don't see me. And then you feel all the feelings yeah. and maybe you do it for a day or maybe you do it for a week, but you don't do it for longer than a week. Huh. And you open the curtains and you let the light in and you get up and you do the next thing toward your career. And if you're not doing it 13 hours a day, you're not working hard enough at it. Because once you start working in this town, you'll work at a minimum 13 hours a day. So don't put in two hours a day on your art and be like, uh, after a couple of months, they didn't want me, I quit. <laughs> Because, by the way, I just also want to say that the greatest myth in Hollywood is the myth of the hammock. The myth that you reach a certain point and then there's this hammock and you're like, I've made it. I'm just here and work just comes. It's not true. You scramble all the time. You're hustling. You hustle every day no matter how successful you get. And you have to hustle. So hustle now. Let yourself feel it. Don't quit. I think also like find find the find your reason right like what's your reason mm. and that can change daily mm. I, when i'm at my low low lowest i really think about my parents and mm. i think about for my personal journey they came here not knowing a word of english mm. they suffered through insane amounts of racism in order to get educated and to become citizens in this country. They, I will never know a day of pain like days of pain that they have experienced. I won't know it. So they worked their ass off to get me here. I owe it to them to get my ass out of bed. You know, if it's not them, it's my kids. It's my kids and making sure that there's a different narrative. Like as culture creators, the why I think is so important. What is your why? What is your reason that you have to do it or else go be a lawyer or a doctor or something else? We have to have like a real why. And I'll share a very quick story that was so meaningful to me and I hope it, it resonates with you guys. There's an activist, Faviana Rodriguez, who does this incredible talk about culture creation, which is what we do and how you can literally point at marriage equality and Will and Grace and Ellen's coming out. How you can pinpoint mm -hmm. the moment those happened and entered the culture and 10 year, it's a 10 year window mm -hmm. for what we do to affect change in DC. And I know. So I went home and I thought about my privilege because I think we always are talking about a lack. I think especially communities of color, when I talk to communities of color, I'm like, this ain't gonna be a pity party. This is what do we have? We get to be in this room. We're in a freaking badass space. Y'all are drinking free cocktails. Like, this is shit, right? Our privileges are many in this moment. So what are our privileges? What are our advantages? And what do we have going on for us, right? 
So I went home thinking, I'm a privileged Latina. My parents had a path to citizenship. They were allowed to come here. They were allowed to, after 12 years, become citizens of this country, which allowed them an opportunity to buy homes, get loans to buy homes, get loans to send me to college and to grad school, right? And then I thought, what was happening in this country 10 years before they got here? Because they came in 62 as as, as in camps. Sound familiar? Welcome. Given toothbrushes and blankets, like, welcome here. Uh, 10 years earlier, the number one show in America in 1952 is I Love Lucy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cuban American in your house every day being lovely and funny and hilarious. Yeah. So 10 years later, when children need some play- sanctuary, Americans were like, oh my God, oh my God, Ricky Ricardo? Yeah. <laughs> so I have every reason to believe that that funny television show is why I'm sitting here. Mm-hmm. That's power. Mm-hmm. That is impact. That is my why. Mm. So finding what that is for you and leading with that as much as you can, I think is. And it will shift and change and grow as you do. So be open to that. Is it my why at 22 Mm -hmm. is not my why at 38. And um, thank God for that. You know, (laughs) like it's so cool to shift with that. So just like, oh, it's changing. It's changing. It's changing. So go be with that as it as it develops. This season of the TV Campfire is produced by ATX Television Festival in collaboration with Anthony Luciani and AJ Myers. For more information on this year's festival, go to atxfestival.com or check out our social media at ATX Festival.